Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Word from the Realm podcast, an in-depth look at the world of Sarah J. Mass. Join us as we fall through the Word Gate together to discover the true magic of these amazing realms. We are your hosts, Sarah, aka Rosebud. And I'm Avery Freckles and Fiction. And today we are diving into Kingdom of Ash, the final Throne of Glass book. Dun, dun, dun. This has been, this has taken us a long time to record only because <laughs> scheduling has been, has been crazy <laughs> for anyone wondering. So we actually just finished the Akatar live. Our yeah. Kingdom of Ash notes are about 60 to 70% done, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the Akatar notes are like probably 80 to 90% done. Sure. It was like, sure. The last I checked, they looked pretty done. I, I love it. Yeah, sure. Okay. I don't know. I haven't looked at them in a minute. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, anyways, so we're kind of going a little bit of back in time, but it is nice. Also, quick side note, Avery and I went back and forth. We we're like, are we going to do one podcast for Kingdom of Ash? Are we going to do two? And we ended up deciding one, but this might be yeah. a long one. Yeah. So Kingdom of Ash. So Kingdom this Ash. is gonna we're we're gonna kind of do it a little differently we're gonna because usually when we do these podcasts we kind of go through chapters we'll read some quotes we'll we'll have like a little bit of a deep dive discussion about it this time we're just gonna try and like bullet through because there's so many chapters Mm -hmm. and we also want to talk about our favorite moments and just some chapters that maybe you as a reader might want to go back and reference or look at Mm -hmm. so it's going to be a bit of a mix of a few things going on here so Hopefully you guys are okay with that. I will say while, again, our podcasts are spoiler-free regarding crossover, obviously, if you're listening to Kingdom of Ash, you know that there is a big moment that happens. So we're going to kind of trickle around things, but we're not going to talk anything regarding Crescent City, anything regarding major Akatar things, just that one major event and some of the things we noticed leading up to it. So yeah, just wanted to bring that up. Diving into this... First off, where we left off, for anyone wondering, we left off with Tower of Dawn. So yeah. we had just finished Tower of Dawn. We had just seen the horrible, horrific epilogue at the very end with Aelin. And we're not going to really go into a lot of <laughs> the stuff that happens with Aelin, but we just want to bring up like a few chapters. So pain. Pain. Yeah, you're right. Pain. Pain. <laughs> just straight pain. Okay. Yeah. So diving into part one, which is armies and allies. So that is part one of Kingdom of Ash. We are going to kind of skip over the first few chapters. The only thing I want to say about it is I think you and I both find chapter two a little funny because that would be the one that we find out that Illid is really pissed off at Lorcan and Gavriel is giving Illid Lorcan's t-shirts because she (laughs) She won't take them from him. She won't take them from Lorcan. So stand a petty bitch. Yeah, yeah, she's being really petty right now. So she won't take them from Lorcan. So Lorcan is still cutting the t-shirts, but giving them to Gavriel, and Gavriel is giving them to Illid. And Rowan needs his wife. Like it's it, this is an abs. This is not a trip I'd want to be on. In case anyone's wondering, like at all. So yeah. only thing I want to bring up about chapter two. Okay, skipping all the way to chapter five. So chapter five, I highlighted it because, by the way, we're going off of highlights in our notes. So if you hear me say highlight, that's why. Chapter five is one of my favorite sad chapters because. As much as I love Rowan happy, I love Rowan sad probably just as much. And I really love Rowan's dream of Aelin having multiple children. 
That is not surprising. You and your pregnancy trope loving ass. I love a good pregnancy trope. And so this is one of my favorite moments. It's to me prophesizes like what is to come with them. And so I really hope one day I also can imagine like Aylin didn't want this many kids, but Rowan did. And she's like, they're your children now. Like (laughs) your brood. Yours. (laughs) Yeah, this is the mini cadre. Here you go. (laughs) So that's just a really kind of sweet moment where he has uh, that dream and he sees Aylin pregnant and then he sees quite a few children with her. So it's it's a very little sweet moment. Moving to chapter eight. The only reason I want to bring up chapter eight, and there's a few reasons. This is the chapter where Connell dies, which is horrific in it of itself for Fenris. Uh, Especially after what he last said. the whole the whole conversation with Fenris is absolutely horrible for those who don't remember Connell is Fenris's twin and they always describe them as like the light in the dark and so Fenris is obviously a white wolf Connell is a is a black wolf and for those that don't remember like the story of how they became Bloodsworn to Maeve basically what happened was Connell became Bloodsworn to Maeve because he felt like he needed something different than his brother because I think Fenris was always the brother that you know, he was succeeding. Everyone, you know, he, everyone loved him when he walked into the room. And so Connell became Bloodsworn to Maeve to kind of make a life for himself. And then Fenris in return became Bloodsworn to protect Connell. So the fact that it went down like it did was horrific for Fenris mm-hmm. because everything, I mean, Fenris never wanted to be Bloodsworn to Maeve and he only did it for his brother and for his brother's last words to be hateful. I think it was it was brutal to read. I don't I don't really reread oh, that chapter. I don't even want to look it up. So I'm just going to say it was bad. The only other thing, I, the main reason I highlighted this is something I found really fascinating on the reread was when Aelin is brought in and she is put, she's forced to put on the crown, the Mab's crown. She's also forced to kneel in dragon glass. And we discover that dragons shifters used to exist. However, Maeve got rid of most of them, if not all of them. And she kept the glass because it's so impenetrable. So dragon glass, dragon glass. Okay. You don't get it. That's fine. But if you get it, you're welcome. Okay. You know, you know, next chapter, chapter 10. This is when Knox shows up. This is probably, there's not a whole lot I don't like about kingdom of Ash, but this is one of the things I would knock it for, which is the fact that Knox never actually reunites with Aelin. He reunites with Lysandra. Bullshit. Yeah. It it was kind of dumb. Well, and I remember when we reread Throne of Glass and I remember the first time a lot of people read Throne of Glass, people loved Knox. Like they were waiting for this reunion. And we didn't get it. And we didn't get it. <laughs> a stupid and dumb. It is kind of funny though that Knox pretty quickly realizes it's not Aelin because he obviously would know. Right. And I don't think it's it's like one of those threads that was like, oh crap, Aelin didn't tell us about this one, like that type of a situation. So that's just a fun thing. The other, oh, really quickly, we're not going to talk a lot about the Adian chapters. Neither one of us find them interesting. They hurt my soul. <laughs> the the best, Lysandra stan, they hurt my soul. The best way I can describe the Adian chapters is like every time you feel like you're moving forward one step, you end up moving backwards 20. And honestly, our mental health can't take it. It's really, yeah. And and again, <laughs> like, well, and Avery and I are both Adian stands. So 
I think what makes the 80 in chapters hard is because he's not in a good place. He's not nice to Lysandra at all. And we're not going to defend him on that ever. Mm-mm. No. So at this point in time, there's no sense in us talking about it. Yep. Okay, great. All right. Okay. Moving <laughs> on. I know Avery, you have 13, 14, 15. Yes. So okay. Basically, the main thing with 13, 14, and 15 is Dorian and Manon and the 13 have been traveling together trying to find the Crockett's. That's what you need to know leading into this chapter. That's what we've skipped to this point as far as the witches go. Chapter 13, we finally find the Crockett's, and this is where Manon meets great granny Glennis. You try saying that three times fast. I'm okay. Glennis? <laughs> I, okay. I said it totally different in my head, and I know it was incorrect, so I'm not going to say it. It's G L E N N I S Glennis. How how else I don't, do you say it? I don't I don't Sarah. That any, one's an easy one. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> Whatever Sarah decided, we found the Croatians and I appreciate that. <laughs> the Croatians. That's a better name than Crockett. I'm sorry. Every it's time I there's no, an every actual t- group of people, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, I get that, but am I the only person that when I heard the word Crockett, I immediately thought of a Croc shoe? Yes. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe you're not the only person, but like that was not where my first thought was. It was where mine was, but it's also because I was saying like, I wanted it to be like a sh, like a soft C sound for so long that when I heard it was like Croc, I was like, oh no. So I would have been okay anyways. if it was like Croatians. Like I would have been okay with that, but not Croatia. I knew it was a Definitely country. Not a Croc shoe. I mean, I know Croatia's a country. I know it's beautiful. I know they filmed a lot of Game of Thrones there. I didn't care. It sounded pretty. That's what they were. Just want to just want to defend my answer. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I'm teasing Sarah here, friends. She's She's yeah. actually very smart. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for pronouncing things. <laughs> so the 13 find the Crockin camp. They meet great granny Glennis. And then in 14, we get attacked by the Yellow Legs witches. And Manon rallies the troops and gets them to trust her. And they defeat the Yellow Legs witches. Everything's fine. And Dorian levels up by killing a spider. <laughs> Level up. Look Level at up. you making those gamer references. <laughs> I would like to say that this is not all me. Anyways. I appreciate so... that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so 15, the big the big thing about 15 is we find out that now that Dorian has killed the spider, he has taken Falcon's shape-shifting ability that was given to the spider in exchange for his his like years of life or whatever which is also why falcon is younger now because the spider's dead mm-hmm. everybody's following great okay cool i will tell you i was not following the first time i read this but i am following now <laughs> i'm so glad anyways so glennis tells manon that the crockins can be united and summoned together with the burning of the royal flame and all of the hearths and a crocken queen can summon them to war so that's where we find out all of that things to note just to remind you which is our part fae so some of the things that the inherited from the fae are the difficulty conceiving and the deadly nature of childbirth and it was quote a way for the three-faced goddess to keep the balance to avoid flooding the lands with too many immortal children who would devour her resources and then also the crockins 
had adopted the Fey habit of selecting mates, if not a true mating bond, then in spirit. So witches can have mates. More likely the Krakens than the Iron Teeth, though. <clears throat> Manon can have a mate. Yeah, I want to make that known. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to just quickly, and by quickly, I mean one sentence, explain that chapter 17 and 18 is is a Kale and Irene chapter. And this is also when you meet Kale's father and find out Irene is pregnant. That's the only reason I wanted to bring that up. So yeah, that that's it. I just wanted, in case anyone's wondering where that chapter, where we officially see Kale and Irene, it is, it is 18 and 19. Okay. Honestly, who'd have thought I'd be really excited about a Kale baby? Not me. I know. Me I actually think, I, read this. I think it's cute. No, I, I fully agree. I'm just saying, like, when I first read this, I did not think I was going to be excited about a kale baby. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a baby kale chip. Wow. Good joke. Good joke. <laughs> She's really proud of herself. Okay. Chapter 20 in our notes, we titled it Pay Attention. And I can't even explain to you how important this chapter is, especially if you're looking for, like, intense lore in Sarah's world. But this is the chapter where... We find Aelin is like in a complete dream sequence, I guess is like the best way to describe Maeve's magic. And it says that they're in a clearing and it says, you know, Maeve tells her basically the story. And I think what makes Kingdom of Ash, well, to backtrack a little bit, Maeve as a villain is probably Sarah's strongest villain, in my opinion. She is just, she is one of the strongest villains she's ever created. I think Crescent City jury's still out on that one but what makes Maeve so interesting is up until this point even up until Empire Storms like you really kind of hate her guts like you can't stand her and then all of a sudden you get to about this part and your mind shifts a little bit to where you don't necessarily I mean you still hate her don't get me wrong I, I still don't like Maeve but I actually also love Maeve because of how complex she is and how Deep down, Maeve's intentions are not villainous. They're not bad. She is just doing the best she can in a horrible situation. And unfortunately, it is still bad decisions. Just wanted to bring up chapter 20 for the fact that it is very fascinating because you hear Maeve's side of the story from the, which is different from the Tower of Dawn side that we had heard. So that is just something to bring up. Okay, chapter 23. Important things to bring up before we get to chapter 23. So number one, Rowan and the crew. This is another good thing for all my theorists out there because Avery and I have talked about this. We love Sarah, obviously. obviously. However, Sarah's not, she doesn't math. I think we've brought that up before. She's like not the best at math. When I did the first Throne of Glass reread in 2021, when I did Kingdom of Ash, we had a huge map because I wanted to show visually where everyone was and where they moved and all these fun things. About this part, 23, is when you discover that Sarah doesn't math you basically for the and i'm bringing this up when it has to do with rowan because when rowan and the crew meaning lorcan gabriel and Ilied and rowan when they are traveling to get aelin at one point they go all the way to the desert which is like almost it's like literally almost to like the desert like the southern continent and then somehow go all the way back to Wendelin in less than a week i think and for context Aelin does not compute. It doesn't compute because for context, when Aelin goes from Otterlin to Wendelin at the end of Crown of Midnight to Air of Fire, that takes like almost three weeks. Like three weeks have passed. She was on a boat for a week, but like 
there was time. And suddenly we've gone a much longer distance in a much shorter time. And I know Rowan's a hawk and he can fly, but they got I Illy. I also know that Fenris can win out, but like, but they no? got, but they got like illied with the with them. So like, I don't think they're moving that fast. Well, Fenris yeah. isn't with them. I know, I know. I thought about it after, but self. Like, but even, if even if he was, it wouldn't get him far. It wouldn't get him far. But like, the only person that can do anything is Gabriel and Rowan, and Gabriel's a lion, and Rowan is a hawk, and Lorgan just has sh- weird death magic, and so like. Illy can't just like hop on someone's back and like you know what I mean like they have a horse with them probably I think they do have a horse with them but like that's my point okay the other reason I bring up chapter 23 and is because if you read the deleted scene of air fire this chapter makes so much more sense and so for context you find out that Illy basically I don't want to say sacrifices but she volunteers herself to learn more about what's going on with Aelin to find out more about I call him Karn I don't I know that's not how you say it it's Karn okay I hate it regardless I don't want I don't really want to talk about his name Karn like Karen that's what it sounds like might as well be okay well I called him Karn for like so if you hear I'm me say that it's Karen from now on <laughs> if, you, if you hear me say that that's because that's what I've been calling him forever but anyways she goes to the to the tavern to find out more about him and and obviously people don't ask about him because he's <laughs> horrible and a woman named Asar comes out and she starts to talk to Illid and Asar quickly pieces together who Illid is and realizes that Rowan is with them. Now, for context, in the deleted scene of Air of Fire, Asar is the one who pieced together all the way back in Air of Fire that Rowan and Aelin were mates and that basically think of Asar as the type of person who was like in Maeve's command, like she's because she's powerful, but she doesn't really want to be there. So like she's willing and she also knows like if Rowan's here to get Aelin back, She'd rather be on that team than on the team that's against it. She's also Lorcan's ex. So it's pretty ironic that she's talking to Illy. But it's a great little moment. And it's a great full circle moment, especially if you read the deleted scene. Okay, moving on. We're going to go right past Aelin getting rescued and all that. It's very traumatic. And go right into chapter 30, which is where she takes it off. She takes the mask off. Yeah. And yeah. uh, um, it's a, I will say it's one of my favorite, <laughs> technically Rowan takes it off. And I was going to say, I think this is one of my favorite moments in terms of like, you rarely see Aelin have like very strong fate instincts because she's been in her human form for so long. And you do see them come out the minute Rowan, he like drags a knife against his palm so that he can write the word mark to take the mask off of her. And she like kind of freaks out and he's like, it's okay. I'm here. I'm your mate. Like he says that to her. Yeah. And because Aelin is, is in this fight or flight mode, she doesn't mm-hmm. even realize what he's saying, but she, her face side, like instinctually trusts him yeah also i think what's beautiful about it is like the minute all the iron comes off she like bursts into flames because she's been covered in it for so long and she doesn't protect the people like you would think she would just protect rowan but she actually protects fenris first which is a very sweet moment and then fenris becomes a member that's 31 Right. That 31 is when Fenris becomes a member of the crew. And it is also when you find out that Aelin has no scars anymore. Right. 
I also want to point out from 31 because yeah. that is the little folk. Mm -hmm. The little folk come and they leave wreaths and garlands from limbs and stuff. And it's said that they're, that it's magic, old, strange magic. Those lights, like they've been plucked from the night sky. Mm. That's sweet. The night sky. Anyways, and then it's a vision of old striding through the trees, the queen and the wolf. Those are the I only things I wanted to point out. The, and I was going to say, the last thing I want to bring up when it comes to 31 is I love, because I think, and for some people, this is where they struggle with Rowan. It's like King Empire of Storms and Kingdom of Ash. Obviously, y'all know I love him. But this is something I really love because I think naturally and instinctually, we didn't bring this up, but I do want to bring up the fact that like, when Aelin got rescued, she saw Rowan, he touched her, and she immediately said Fenris, and he left and went to go get Fenris. Left her with Lorcan, by the way, and then came back. And I think oh, some people, I've, I've had conversations with friends where they really hated that he did that, and I think it's a testament to their relationship that, and again, I'm not trying to bash Reese and Feyre, because obviously Reese and Feyre have a very different relationship, but what I enjoy about Rowan and Aelins is that it there is a sense of trust without always needing to be by each other's side or by always needing to fully protect. And you saw that when Rowan left her with Lorcan and you see it again when the little folk appear in this chapter and he understands that they will always protect her. And even though there might be a side of his instinct that is fighting it, he's okay with just standing by her side and letting some ancient creatures lead her to a safe path. So that's just my little, one of my probably many Rowan speeches. Okay. 33. So one thing I want to say about 33, I, no surprise to anyone. The first time I read Kingdom of Ash, I read this book so fast. I don't think I retained a lot, if anything, that was not tied to Rowan and Aelin because I was so traumatized by Empire Storms. I was like, I just need to know that they're okay. The second time I read this, I genuinely did not know Caltain showed up and no. was shocked. So the only reason I wanted to bring this up was I really, really love, I think you and I both love the conversation between Dorian and Caltain. Mm -hmm. My favorite part is he asks her how she broke free from the control yes. of it. And she said, because I raged against it. And let me just tell you, Caltain Rompier is the epitome of feminine rage. Like, yes. if you're going to see feminine rage put into a book, Caltain, 100%. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's Don't we all sometimes wish we could? I know, I know. And I, I think the other thing, too, about the Caltain stuff is, like, you know, when you go back and you read Throne of Glass, like, Caltain is not a likable character. And Sarah did that on no. purpose. But the idea is that people change over time. And in that moment, Caltain's motivations were very different. They were very surface level. And mm -hmm. once she's had these extremely traumatic experiences in her life, I appreciate that not only as a reader, our mindset changes, but also Dorian understands from a very basic level because he doesn't even know the details that we know as a reader. Mm -hmm. He respects her. Well, that and she's stuck within the confines of society. So like she's just doing in throne of glass what is expected of her to do in order to raise her station which is really the only goal is to be able to raise your station through marriage so 
going i'm only thinking say about 34 is that's when adian throws lysandra in the snow and we all hate it so we don't talk about it yep moving on okay 35 is in my opinion one of my favorite chapters i just want to say everyone always talks about power over me and being like you know all these little moments the line that says remember the lake in the moonlight that to me is this chapter so this is the chapter where they're under they're in the caves and aelin sees the big lake and Aelin is still kind of in this fight or flight mode. She's not fully there yet. And she gets into the water and she really talks to Rowan like a queen talks to her general. Like she's not fully ready to have a romantic conversation with him yet because she's still dealing with a lot of things. And I enjoy things like, you know, she asks him, how long was I gone? And he says two months, three days and seven hours. And she like hates that he even phrased it like that like she would rather he'd phrased it like you were gone for two months and three days but the fact that he counted the hours it also is a flashback to the fact that when she asked him in air fire how long has your mate been gone he did the same thing with lyra so it's it's a very interesting comparison the other thing too is obviously one of rowan's big things was that he wanted to the way he trapped mave into rescuing aelin was that he told her he created this lie that there was these word callers and Aelin was going to commit suicide because she was so terrified of having a word caller on her. And so when they're having this conversation about the callers, he says, no, Fireheart, there was no caller. And she says, that was a dream too. And she continuously says there was no caller and Rowan realizes the potential that could have happened. And he's like, if I had known what she would have done with that knowledge and he she's he's trying to apologize because he realizes how much this affected Aelin and she immediately was like don't apologize don't apologize and so there's all these things that are surface level right now that will later unfortunately we don't see it in Kingdom of Ash but they will bubble up when it comes to Aelin so does it probably doesn't surprise Avery but it is one of the chapters I reread the most no not surprised at all not even a little bit okay all right and then 36 37 and 38 these are all the chapters under the cave the only thing i want to bring up is they do officially exchange wedding rings and what i love is aelin wears rowan's favorite color and rowan's wedding ring which is a ruby is aelin's favorite color and yes the ring that you see me wear is pretty much the exact description of the ring anyways keep going chapter 40 Uh is one that i want to bring up Mm -hmm. And that is when Manon and Bronwyn start to move towards potentially getting along, which is super important. And Manon makes the decision to go to the Farian Gap to rescue the Bluebloods. And she says, I am Kraken. I am Iron Teeth. The Iron Teeth are my people, regardless of what my grandmother may decree. Like she is claiming them as her blood, regardless of whether or not they want to be claimed. She's like, they're my people. And then she talks about how much she cares about losing the war and failing and how she will feel if Dorian goes to Morath and returns as something not worth living. Like she, for the first time, is really just like, I'm going to admit to you that I care because I've been raised to never admit that. And I refuse to be that way anymore because Manon is growing as a person. Well, and her relationship with Bronwyn is such a cool one to watch. I almost (laughs) wish you could have seen more of it because we saw the growth a little. I mean, obviously we've seen the growth, growth since we've met Manon, but this growth with her is just oh, it's so good. So good. Chapter 41. So 
I'm not going to, I'm not even going to talk about the spice because I don't care for it. It's actually, in my opinion, it's better than the beach scene. I will say that. And I stand by that opinion, but I do want to talk about the conversation that happened before, which is a theme throughout this is Aylin doesn't want to talk about anything. She'd rather just fight. So she continuously is trying to push herself to fight. And Rowan's like, no, we need to talk. We need to talk. And so it's this, I think it's one of the first times I've ever seen Aylin act like a young girl in front of Rowan, where she is terrified to have the conversation about, I knew we were mates. I had an idea. I didn't want to say anything to you. And it's a very raw conversation and it's one that I really love, but I love that that it's told in a way that's really like blunt and awkward where it's like, Ilya and Lorgan told you everything on the beach. Everything they've said, just another nod, that we're mates. Yes, I'm your mate, you're mine. Rowan's like, what of it? And she's like, why well, didn't, you know, you know what she did to you? And he's like, I do know. And what do you wish me to say? She's like, tell me how you feel. He's like, if what? And she's basically wanting him to say, like, do you regret this? And he's like, no, I don't regret it. And what I think is also so beautiful because we had seen, you know, previously that Maeve was building these crazy concoctions of mind traps for Aelin where Rowan didn't have a tattoo, where Aelin always lived in Terrison and all these things. And she says to Rowan, like, I actually am grateful that I met you like this. And he says the same thing. And then they have sexy time and it's really sweet. And yeah. then we get the next chapter, which is Lorcan. My baby joins. He becomes blood sworn to the cut. Ca- well, I say to the cadre, but really it's like, it is kind of to I mean, the cadre. Yeah, but we're like, just taking the cadre and we're just transferring them to the better queen. I will say this is probably Maeve's biggest mistake. Oh, a hundred percent. Like what was she, uh, like remo- removing Lorcan and Rowan like and Gabriel and Gap like it is the dumbest thing you could have done the only person who broke free of it was Fenris, was Fenris. right <laughs> the it. only the only thing I want to say because you guys know I don't like Lorcan but I will say that this I I fall under a very similar mm-hmm. opinion as Illid as I start to read this mm-hmm. and the one thing I love is when Aelin offers it to him it comes from a place of I'm not just doing this because you are stupid powerful and I would be dumb not to do this mm-hmm. I'm also doing this for Illid so I'm gonna I'm just gonna pull the lap like the little quote because it's my yes favorite. so she basically has told him it is what it is you can either be blood sworn or you can never travel with us or come into my kingdom ever again mm-hmm. she says I can't risk Terrison, but I would not take something as precious away from you. And he says, what you don't realize is that is no longer a possibility. And she says, it is. Believe me, Lorcan, it is. And he shuts down the hope that fills his chest. And then she says, but Terrison will not survive this war. She will not survive this war without you. Mm -hmm. And then she says, it's your choice. And basically... He's like, okay, well, there's no choice there. And I will say to one of the, because that's my favorite, that's my, what you just read was like what I would have read. The only other piece I will add to it is a lot of people complain that like the reason they don't find the cadre as interesting as the inner circle is because they don't get to see the funny banter. And I think that's just because the inner circle has had 500 years of actual genuine friendship, whereas the cadre has not. But you see glimpses of it where, you know, Fenris isn't happy that Lorcan's about to be blood sworn. Oh. And he says things like, 
Aelin goes, isn't that why we love Lorcan, though? We'll only invite him to Orinth on holidays. So he can ruin the festivities at Fenris Gald? I, for one, cherish my holidays. I don't need him raining on them. And gods above, Lorcan Lorcan cut Rowan a look, but the warrior prince was watching his queen carefully. Fine, fine. You won't kill Lorcan for what happened in Ilway, and in exchange, we won't invite him to anything. And it said he was a fool, because this was the court he was in. (laughs) It's just... Yeah. It's just really sweet. So It's stuff like that. And then... um. My other little bit is after she says it's his choice, his answer is not like, thank you. It's just like, fine. <laughs> yes. yes. And then the immediate response is God spare us from <laughs> Yes. Yes. And I also so. love too that, you know, the one thing Aelin always promises is she's only going to require one thing of her blood sworn, which is to always protect Terrison and the people of Terrison. And he feels that command, but he also feels a sense of freedom because that's the only command they'll ever have. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. Okay. Moving to chapter 47, the only, this is probably one of the few Lysandra quotes, chapters I want to bring up on my end. I'm just bringing it up because I feel what is so powerful about it is this was the time when Lysandra literally stood in front of the army and knowing that everyone would realize she was not Aelin but to give people hope and it you know could have been her downfall in that moment but it was a really impactful moment and i also think it was an impactful moment for adian because he realized how important she was so mm-hmm. only reason i'm bringing uh-huh, it up adian uh-huh yeah our boy adian was not doing well in this book <laughs> he was in it yeah okay 48 is one that you and i both love <laughs> it is this um, is the... i think we can give the, the quick and dirty version of it is is it's aelin and irene's reunion it's the reunion and it is one of the sweetest reunions to see yep i can't really talk a whole lot about it or i'll cry the the only thing i'll say about it is there's there's been very few moments in my life where I have felt like Aelin did in this moment where like people have come up to you and I hope other people get this moment in their life once. I think mine were nothing. They were like a salt grain in comparison to this. But when this happens and people, you know, they thank you for things. I've had people come up to me before and said like, oh my God, like, thank you for making me read Throne of Glass or thank you for creating Discord or what, you know, the realm and Discord and all that stuff. And it's, I, it was I relate to Aelin's response when she's like, can I have this? Because those little moments, those little nuggets of wanting that piece and Irene mm-hmm. going, it was yours all along and Aelin kind of brushing it off. Like, it, you know, it was more impactful for Aelin than you realize in that moment. And it was, um, it's it's just one of my favorites. On top of the fact that this is also when Aelin gets knocked on her ass and she realizes that the <laughs> merchant she saw as a kid is Lysandra's uncle. <laughs> that is also in this chapter and that is also a crazy moment and i think rowan also enjoyed seeing a surprise that aelin i think we all loved seeing a surprise that aelin didn't see coming also quick reminder i did not rate tower of dawn and so this is when i found out that mave was valg which was a shock to my system probably very similar no one else was probably surprised unless you did the same thing i did so 49 is when we learn more about mave as valg and I think the one who took it the hardest was Lorcan, and that made total sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rowan took it hard, but I think he was more concerned for Aelin, so he doesn't... Rowan's feelings about that would probably come up post this book, but he was more concerned about Aelin. And then the only reason I want to bring up 50 is 50 is actually one of my favorite chapters 
it is the chapter where Aelin finally says to Rowan, you know, did you believe the swagger? Did you believe the lying? And he says, I didn't believe any of it. And she says that she can't do this and that this is, she's basically way in over her head. And he's like, you can, you know, we're, we're going to figure this out because the other piece of this is in a very resand fashion, Aelin is constantly waiting for her death. Just because Rowan rescued her doesn't mean she's seen the end. She's waiting right. for the moment she's going to die. And Rowan is the one that's fighting for her to live. And that is, um, it's a re it's probably one of my favorite chapters in this book is chapter 50 because of how powerful it is. So that's 51. Yeah, go for it. So 51, um, two things that need to be pointed out about this chapter. This is the one where basically Lorcan is begging Elid to understand that she didn't know about Maeve. Yes. she He's begging her to understand that he trusted this woman for hundreds of years. Yeah. And she was just cold and aloof. He had no idea. He had no idea what she was capable of. He had no idea what she was none of it and he's basically begging her to understand and she says i don't care to him which is the turning point for lorkin where he's like i'm never gonna get her back yeah it's never gonna happen for me and so moving on into the chapter we eventually get a conversation between gabrielle and elite and which has to be one of the best conversations in this book mm-hmm and he's, you know, trying to convince her. He says things like you should have ignored him. You might as well have kicked a male already down. And he then says, I have never heard Lorcan apologize for anything. Even when Maeve whipped him for a mistake, he did not apologize to her. And Elite is trying to understand why Gabrielle is having this conversation with her. And she just doesn't. She's like, why should I care? And Gabrielle's basically like, he took the blood oath for you. He attached himself to somebody he didn't necessarily like or trust Yeah, to be with you because it was the only way to be with you. And yeah, as much as I dislike Lorcan, (laughs) I dislike Lorcan. I will say that this is one of those moments where I really sympathize with him because because of everything you just said. I mean, even hearing Gabrielle talk to Illid, it's it kind of reminds you of like whenever you have those really intense arguments with someone and someone's like, okay, like you need to stop. Like this is this is no longer a productive discussion. Right. Oh, it's so good. So good, so good. The only other thing I'll say about it is Illid, well, we're in her head at this point. Yeah. And she basically is like her parting line to Lorcan was a lie. It was a hateful lie. Yes. He is. That's really their last conversation before he goes out onto the battlefield in Aniel. Yeah. And I also think at that point, Lorcan had decided it was going to be a suicide mission. Oh, 100%. He was like, I'm not getting out of this one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to fight and kill as many people as I can for the people for Illy. Try to help with the war and then I'm gonna go. Yep. Yep. It's a uh, yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's a tough relationship, that's for sure. Okay. The only thing I want to bring about with 54 is um obviously this is well, my one of my favorite parts is the fact that Aelin meets Kale's father and has a hysterical conversation about like 
because Kale's father quickly realizes that Kale and and Aelin were at one point dating. And she's like, okay, you know, he stepped up in life. Like I snore and, and Rowan's like, it's not that bad. She's like, okay, anyways. So that's a hilarious little moment of the fact that like Kale's father's pissed that he almost married the Queen of Terrison, but both of them are like, it's fine. And then very quickly when they go, when the point of view shifts to Aelin in the room, there's a very interesting conversation with Illid where Illid asks, since Maeve is an imposter who had ru- who had ruled Dornell, if she was banished with all the other Valg, who would rule? And Rowan and Gavriel realize at the same time, it would be Aelin. <laughs> and I think everyone in the room kind of had a moment of like, oh my God. And my favorite part about it is that they say it would go to Celine because Aelin goes, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going back there. Like I would never go back. And for anyone wondering why would it go to Aelin? So let me quickly break it down. Aelin is the great granddaughter of Mab. So she is the closest in bloodline. So that's why it would go to her. If Aelin didn't exist, it would actually go to someone in Rowan's household who is Celine. So, and it would be a female. So it would go to Celine and Aelin immediately says, Celine can have it. And everyone is shocked because that's why the little folk loved her so much. She's the true fairy queen. And Gavriel says, the fairy queen of the West. And Aelin goes, is that an actual title? Like she, she's like, hates the fact that there's a title. Um, Selene is the fairy queen of the East. And they basically everyone just kind of goes, we're not going to touch this. This is Rowan's like, what's one more title? Yeah, (laughs) I think Rowan had more of a heart attack in that moment than Aelin did, because obviously being the Queen of Terrison is a much more important title to Aelin. But being the Queen of Dornal is like a little bit of a big deal to to Rowan and the Whitethorns. Like, I think if the Whitethorns realize that, like, she is the true Queen of Dornal, I think they would all have an absolute fit. So well, it's a good thing they, you know, turned their armada against Maeve. Right, exactly. Right. They aligned with the right queen. Also, they put, they aligned with the queen that put their house in royal, like, lineage. Oh. <laughs> it's just so funny. Okay. So it's, it's one of my favorite little moments. Okay. Only thing I'm going to say about chapter 55, this is when Dorian turns into a woman and where I go, what is going on? Uh-huh. Great. Yep. Also, I loved Manon's reaction to him being a woman. Oh, it's 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 amazing. Immediately, Manon's like, "Have you touched yourself?" Like, like that's it's so good. It is so good. Like, yeah. Okay, this is where I'm mad that Throne of Glass is not adult because we would have gotten a little bit more detail with that. But that's it's fine. All right, I'll let you talk about a Lorcan. So I'm not going to talk much about the battle because let's be honest, we're in this battle. For Elite and Lorcan. Yeah, oh, like, 100%. Getting up this battle, we're in it for Elite and Lorcan. So, 59. Wait, hold on. The only thing you, I want to say about it is I did enjoy pre battle that Fenris tries to walk up to Rowan and say, You know why Aelin's not using her fire magic? Like she was abused with fire. And Rowan said, Don't tell me that we have like, because Rowan and Aelin have an agreement. And yeah, it's it's just a very interesting discussion. Sorry, continue. I won't interrupt more about Rowan and Aelin. You're fine. Elite and Lorcan, right? Okay. So uh, Lorcan has gone out and performed his suicide mission at this point. And Elite is looking around the ramparts where she's standing with Kale and Irene and Aelin and Rowan and everybody. And she asks where Lorcan is. 
and nobody knows because as much as they do care, nobody cared. The only person who truly, truly cared was a lead. Well, and there was so much going on. Like, yeah, for sure. It, but like, right. even still, like, they're not going to pay attention. Fenris or where, like, no one's paying attention to Lorcan. Right. 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 I get what you're saying. Exactly. So she's asking where he is. Best part. So Fenris is like, shit. Like, how did none of us notice that, like, he went here? And then Elid runs, finds the nearest horse. It happens to be Farasha, however you say it, butterfly. Let's just be honest. Elid saving Lorcan on a horse named Butterfly. It literally couldn't be better like the whole thing couldn't be also the fact that this is the horse that's for kale yeah well and we're gonna get to that because kale calls this horse hellas's horse yes and you know elite is closely associated with hellas's consort Lorcan is very closely associated with hellas himself yeah so it makes sense that he's saved on hellas's horse but anyway so 59 is her realizing that he's missing and getting the horse 60 is her screaming across the battlefield to find Lorcan, finds him, gets him on the horse and starts racing back and begging people to hold the gate. That is her one wish. It is probably and- one of the most cinematic things in oh, the yeah. entire book. 100%. And then 61 is the the fight to get back to the gate. And mm-hmm. I'm going to let you talk about what else happens then. I mean, Aelin finally lets loose of her magic. And the best part, too, is everyone is watching Iliad and Thorkin. No one noticed that Aelin left and, like, went off to go do this. And until, you know, Rowan is like, where's Aelin? And she's, yeah. like, hanging from a rook. And he's yeah. like, what the hell? And it, and and I what I love, too, is in that moment, Rowan knew the truth. Because up until this point, I think everyone thought Aelin was suppressing her fire out of fear and that wouldn't have surprised Rowan because in air of fire she did suppress her fire out of fear but once he saw her at that vantage point he realized oh it wasn't fear she had been tunneling so far months and months of tunneling for this killing blow and she's gonna waste it on the people she cares about it is so freaking cool so and then the only other thing I want to say, which I it's I think it's actually 66, but I'm going to just say 66 and then let Avery talk about 65. When Aelin and Rowan wake up like days later, <laughs> I love that Aelin's like, Rowan basically says, now you're like a legend, like stories are going to be made about this moment. <laughs> and and Aelin's like, do you think I could like cause, like Aelin immediately wants to cause chaos. So while they're walking past soldiers, she tells them like, She's talking to Rowan, but she obviously is indicating to the soldiers, like, I can't believe you plucked out their eyes and ate them. And Rowan's like, thank you. We are going to hear about this for years now. So much appreciated. And then we also find out they're going to Terrison. Okay. Now about our witches. So between 61 and 65, because 65 is what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Dorian and Manon have a lot of sex i was gonna say we even talked about it they have a ton of sex they have a lot of sex like i don't think people realize that (laughs) like a like i was reminded of how and i was like good lord 
I think if this book was an adult, it could have rivaled Silverpoint. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> Minorian. Are you kidding It would have just been Minorian. <laughs> I don't know. I think Lorcan could have. Well, Lord, yeah, we maybe would have seen what Lorcan did, but like, I don't think it yeah. would have been Rowaylan. Like, Rowaylan would have had like one or two spicy moments. It would have been great. But like, Minorian would have been the star of the show. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So... 65. The main thing we need to talk about in 65 is this is when one of the most, so we all know that Sarah J. Mass loves Lord of the Rings. We know. We know. So if anybody has seen Lord of the Rings, just the movie, you don't even have to have read the book. There is a moment where basically Aragorn runs into a hall and yells, Gondor calls for aid. And King of Rohan's response is, and Rohan will answer. That's the main thing with that. And then literally in 65, Manon opens her mouth. Terrace comes for aid. A young Crocken's voice rang through the camp like, come on. It, this is again, one of those cinematic moments where you knew exactly what was happening. And you also were waiting for this because they had, like the Crockens had hinted that this was a really important thing that Manon would probably have to do. It was beautifully done. So I'm going to just read this one little part. Yes. So they get the whole Orinth will be sacked within the week, blah, blah, blah. The 13 closed in, Bronwyn a step behind, and Manon didn't dare breathe as Glennis stared toward the immortal flame burning in the fire pit mere feet away, the flame of war. When she turned toward Manon, what say you, queen of witches? A challenge and a dare. Manon lifted her chin at the two paths before her, one to the east to Morath the other northward to Terrison in battle. The wind sang, and in it she heard the answer. I shall answer Terrison's call, Manon said. And then Astrin steps up and says, I shall I, and then Sorrel steps up and says, so shall the 13. And then basically everybody, Bronwyn is like, the Venora hearth shall fly north. And so like everybody, and like goosebumps, just freaking, I don't yeah. even know if you can see it, but goosebumps all up and down my arms. Just like the whole and then Glennis says, long ago, Rhiannon Crocken rode at King Brandon's side into battle. So she has her likeness been reborn. So shall the old alliances be forged anew, light the flame of war, queen of witches, and rally your host. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. These are also the chapters that you hear You hear authors do this where like when they're writing a series and especially one as epic as this that took eight books that there are some chapters authors have had written for years and this is one that felt like it. Yeah. Like it's just so just stinking knew. good. Yeah. You just knew. Oh my God. I, I love everything. It, and again, I didn't appreciate this until the second reread, but I love everything to do with the witches and everything to do with the Krakens and mm-hmm. Manon and all of this. It it genuinely makes you want a book that's just about them. Well, and I mean, it's, there are several chapters with the witches that make me cry. Yeah. In this book, obviously for obvious reasons, we'll get there. But this is one of the chapters that like the goosebumps are so strong that like my eyes well up when I read it. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Part two, gods and gates. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to speed through these. This is for anyone who's never heard me. And I'm, I probably brought this up in the podcast at least, but there are different phases in Dorian. When you read Throne of Glass, you have baby Dorian and Throne of Glass. 
uh, mm-hmm. Elsa Dorian in Crown of Midnight. You have King Dorian in Air of Fire, because that's kind of when he officially decides he's ready to be king. Uh, Demon Dorian in Queen of Shadows, for obvious reasons. Daddy Dorian, for obvious reasons, in Empire of Storms. And I call this WTF Dorian, because it, when you read this really fast like I did, number one, you don't catch that Dorian sh- can shift until he does. Yeah, that was shocking. And then number two, you know, you spend almost the entire series waiting for Aelin and Maeve to fight. And you know that Maeve is an extremely terrifying foe. Only for um, quite a few chapters of Dorian potentially marrying Maeve. (laughs) And I can't even say it with a straight, like I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Like this whole thing seems like a fever dream to me. It is the craziest thing ever. The only thing I want to say, so chapter 70, it's the very end is when Maeve sees Dorian also at the very beginning of chapter 70 it's when Maeve is talking to Erewhon and she explains that Dornell has been sacked she also reveals who she truly is and it's just shocking the whole thing is shocking so I'm not going to read all of these but I will say it's chapters 70 through 74 so those are the main ones that you interact with Maeve and Dorian the ones that I would definitely say you should look into is chapter 74 for sure and chapter 71 this is also when you find it fascinating how you could potentially like Maeve because she's so I don't want to say she's kind but she is kind to Dorian in a manipulative way and he's also manipulating her but also like Dorian you're like 20 something years old like this is the weirdest thing ever so yeah it's a fever dream Mm -hmm. and that's about all I can say about it so oh and then I do want to say uh, chapter 76 and 77 76 specifically is when you find out more about what she views as her world and this is great for any of our crossover friends um, especially because you know the first thing you read in 76 says so it's possible to show a different world dorian asks mave mave slid into the chair using mirrors yes dorian lifted a brow and then she says you have seen yourself in the power of what you've seen yourself the power of witch mirrors what it did to aelin galathinius and manon blackbeak who do you think taught the witches such power not the fae and how do you think i have been able to see so far hear the voices of my eyes all the way from Dornell. there are mirrors to spy travel and kill even now erwan wields them to his advantage with iron teeth and then she says i can show him what he wishes to see we'll get in we're not going to talk about it in this one but i know someone's going to bring up reese's power and mave's power we'll get that in at the very end of all of this when we talk about crossover stuff but it's not the same thing also the witch mirror stuff is very fascinating so I could ramble about this forever. I'm not going to. I'm just going to tell you to read chapter 76. So I'm going to let Avery take it away with some crazy witch stuff. I'm going to hit you with 78, actually, because this chapter needs to be talked about. So this is when Maeve falls for Dorian's trap. And oh, Dorian yes. Mora. What? This is also mind-blowing. I know. So he is inside of... Maeve's mind basically tells her like did you think I would be allow myself to become a slave again like dumb dumb dummy so she says is this the king you wish to be torturing a helpless female and he laughs and says you are not helpless and if I could I would seal you in an iron box for eternity the king I wish to be is the opposite of what you are he gave Maeve a smile and there is only one witch who will be my queen and like, hell yeah. 
Oh, Dottie Dorian. But the other thing that needs to be known about this chapter, a reminder to all of you beautiful readers out there. He is shifting. He has the word keys in his pocket. And yep. he reaches back to, to Maeve's mind and says, and it says, it was simple as an incision to sever the link between their minds and to sever another part of her, to tie off the gift that allowed her to jump between places to open those portals. World Walker no longer, he said, as his raw magic shifted her own, changed its very essence. I suggest you invest in a good pair of shoes. I don't understand like any like I don't understand this because it's like this all came out of I don't know why but it feels like it came out of left field this man severed her ability to world walk I just and took it as his own that's Dorian can walk through worlds now don't even don't don't even go there I know where you're going with this I'm not Dorian can walk through worlds now I'm not no I'm not Avery Beth we are not canon that's great that it's canon but i'm gonna not talk about it we're not talking about it i'm just saying you're gonna make me mad it's canon that's great if it is dorian <laughs> by the end of all of this i'm gonna be pissed i'm gonna be pissed listen, listen, I swear, happily ever after i swear to god sarah's just staring at me. <laughs> i don't even you better talk about the next few chapters before I totally lose it and ruin this entire podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. 79. Oh, FYI, what I'm talking about is something we will reference later. Avery. If, if you know, you know. If you don't know, it's fine. Don't worry. It's not that serious yet. I swear um, to God, if it's Dorian, though, I'm going to lose it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to talk about 79. So Irene offers to heal Elise's foot and Vernon is found in the Farian Gap. And then 80 is when they decide what to do with Uncle Vernon. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't really feel like I need to elaborate on that. I just love how this went about because especially it reminds me a lot of the Arobin situation where like 80 and, and Rowan were both like, who gets the killing blow? <laughs> like it was basically like Aelin and Lorcan were both like, so which one of us is doing it? Like it was so good. So good. This whole thing went down amazing. Yeah, so that's that's Vernon. Yeah. And then 81 yeah. is Manon's entrance with the 13 and the Krakens to join the fight. And it Look, is Look, 18 has help. Yes. And Evangeline becomes Darrow's helper. That's it's the, the other. It's the only time we like him. Mm-hmm. And then 82 is more information on the Krakens and the 13 and strategies and 83 is a really cool chapter because it's one of the last conversations Dorian and Gavin have. And I think what is also fascinating, you know, they have a very interesting conversation. I also think what what makes Gavin such a unique character in the series is he the situation in which he was brought to be not only the first king of Otterland, but even just having a king position is because of his wife, Elena, and who her father was, which was Brannon. And anyways, what I'm trying to say about Gavin is that he he didn't ask for any of this. And he also knows as they are getting closer and closer to solving all of this, it also means the end of his time with Elena. 
So it, it's a, it's a very bittersweet um, thing, but I also, I genuinely, one of my favorite things has been the conversations between Gavin and Dory. Are you ready to do this big chunk? I'm never going to be ready to do it. So I guess we're just gonna. So I just want to say one of my proudest things ever is I've never cried at these next few chapters. (laughs) Maybe because I'm heartless. Probably not. Probably because I. I'm going to try really hard not to get overly emotional about it and just speak about it as if I'm like. Well, how about this? Let's talk about 87 before we get to the hard stuff. Okay. 87 is, is a funny thing. Okay. You, you, okay. 87 is the blue balls. We don't know what Lorcan did. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. We, I get blue balls and I'm sad about it. Do you think that there's a possibility Sarah forgot to add what Lorcan did? Or do you think her editor took that out? I want to know. I'm just curious. You don't, that, that, that doesn't ever have to be public information. Like what he did. I just need to know, was it, was it like a house of earth and blood? That's what Lorcan did. Right. Did she have a good time? (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) like, that's what I mean. Was it like house of earth and blood where like, you know, she had a good time, but he didn't get anything or was it more like, or was it like not have allowed for it? Or was it, was it like the dining room and silver flames? Was it like, hold on to the headboard? Elite is competitive in her heart and soul, and she was going to take that. No, I know, but like, did we go that far, or was oh, it just? Yeah, he got her ready for it, but they did that. Good for them. They did Good for that. them. I feel bad for her because she's so tiny and he's so tall, but like, good for them. Okay. I'm only going to say this once and then I don't want to ever think about it again. My oh, brother no. is six foot seven, my sister in law is five foot three. Yeah, but I'm probably closer to Illy type than your sister-in-law. She, in my brain, she's like five two. That's yeah, that's true. It's it's just and Lorcan's seven feet, but like, yeah, well, Lorcan, yeah. Listen, all we know is Lorcan took care of her. I know that much. Six inches. I let me tell you. Wait, clarify what you mean by six inches, because I, I all I heard was six. Please clarify for everyone else, because I don't know if their faces look like mine right now. So like, I know you're from Georgia Bay, but like you need to clarify something. <laughs> Are you saying six inch difference between your brother and Lorcan's height? Babe? Seven plus five is twelve. Yes, it's five inches. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway. Uh, six inches was a quote from a movie i don't remember which one i don't know what movie you're talking about six inches somebody's gonna know the other someone is someone is the other thing too like i'm sorry that's so small for sarah's men there's no way that Lorcan is only six inches, but like ow otherwise. I know. <laughs> I know that. I know, I know that. <laughs> otherwise. I, I'm fully aware of that. Anyways. Okay. All right. Moving on. Get your tissues. <laughs> Shut up. I can do this. I can do this. Okay. Chapter 88. Basically, Iskra shows up and attacks Abraxas. Like that's, that's the main thing to take away. There's like tunnels and stuff. And Lysandra's doing some things at the beginning of this chapter. But like the real thing is that we're, we're heading into the yielding. So Iskra, yellow legs, heir to the yellow legs clan has shown up on her bull and closes the bull's jaws around Abraxas's throat, which leads to basically 
of an aerial fight, like a dog fight. And like, if you watch World War II documentaries on the History Channel or whatever, it is like, that's that's how I imagine this is kind of playing out for everybody around them. Abraxas fights to get free. Petra comes and saves them. And then Petra looks at Manon and is like, Iskra's mine. And then does like a whole four Keely thing. And it's a lot. And you're already getting emotional because that's a lot. And then Iskra and her bold die. They splatter upon the earth as she deserves. Everyone's drained the majority of their magic. The witch tower comes in. Abraxas has landed. There's silence. And then basically Astrin goes up to Manon and makes it so that Manon cannot leave the ramparts. Gets on her wyvern. 12 of the 13 make the yielding to destroy the witch tower. In order. In order. Finishing. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing okay. Okay. Um, <sighs> Astrin is the last one. Hers hurts the most because... As we all know, Astrin has the unclean branding on her stomach, and that is how she chooses to go out. I can't do this. <laughs> Basically, it's Astrin's last FU to the matron because yeah. she slams into the witch tower that the matron is in. That's how the Blackbeak matron dies. She slams Hell into yeah. it, bearing her unclean branding, like throws her shirt open so that it can be seen right before she does the yielding. And then Manon loses one of her favorite people in the world and Abraxas loses his mate in that moment, which is very upsetting. And they talk about how the light erupts from Asterin when she performs it. Uh, yeah. And then the next chapter, which is 90, is when they go down to the battlefield to mourn and there are flowers springing from fields of blood. And that's as much as I can say these <laughs> before i go into a full-on you did great you did great thanks i'm gonna i'm gonna mute and cry you talk okay okay i'm gonna talk about the songs we picked for this because we don't typically talk about the music i i will tell you and i i think it doesn't surprise anyone i was not very attached to the witches the first time i read it it was partially due to the fact that i read it incorrectly and so it did take the second read through for me to be very attached to them but i have a deep respect for them and a deep I, I think I probably have the deepest respect for Astrin. And yeah. I know when we were going through the playlist, for those of you that don't know, we have ch we have a chapter playlist on Spotify. We pick a song for every single chapter of every single, well, we, we so far have picked a song for every single chapter of every single Throne of Glass book. We're currently in the process of doing it for, well, we just finished Akatar. We're doing it for Akamath. And something that Avery and I love doing is we specifically want to sprinkle in songs that, that hold either a specific meaning or whatever. So to talk about Astrid a little bit, I don't know why we, I thought Fleet, I don't know if you thought Fleetwood Mac or I did, but we really had a very specific vision for that. And I think that was partially due to the fact that we understood where her story was going and we wanted her to have this very um, freeing, loving spirit about her because that is what feels right, especially once you know where she is heading. When it came time to pick the songs for this section, it was probably the toughest thing to do because we knew we wanted to punch with a good emotion because if there is something Sarah is spectacular at, it is 
you know, I mean, Avery's sobbing right now and I'm, um, I'm okay. I will, but I'm just saying like, it, she's not the only one, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there where this is probably, if not the biggest thing that Sarah has done regarding absolute sadness, but it the is first done. first time I read it, I was uh, hyperventilating. I will say it's done beautifully. Like, I don't think anyone here would change it. I think it's, it's more because it, it leaves such a mark. And so to just kind of talk briefly about, cause I just want to pull up the songs that we picked. So if anyone just wants to just hear them, cause I do recommend hearing the three in a row, we really went back and forth for a very long time. And then I was by myself at like, I think it was like midnight my time. So Avery was fast asleep at this point. Uh-huh. And we went out of left field and for 89, we, you know, a lot of people expected us to pick an instrumental because that's what made the most sense. And instead we chose the song I lived by one Republic, which we felt like was almost like a love letter from Astrid to Manon. And I don't think any of us will ever hear that song the same, which kind of sucks because it's an amazing song. And then the song that we chose for, 90 was Where's Hiccup, which is from How to Train Your Dragon, which is something we naturally had sprinkled in all throughout the witch chapters. It is definitely one of the hardest things that Sarah has done. It makes me terrified for the future with Sarah's books because I haven't seen something this epic happen, but it is very possible with some of the potential things happening in Crescent City 3 or even beyond in other series. So that is what I will say about the witches. And usually also what I tell readers is read this portion, like get to 89 and 90 and like take a minute, take a minute to like soak in what had happened. I will say, I think this is probably the most traumatic death. I mean, Gabrielle's death is sad, but this is the most traumatic death. Gabrielle's death feels like just like additional. It does. Yes. At this point, like it's a lot to deal with, but. I think what Sarah does beautifully about this is you're, you're on chapter 90 and there's 120 something chapters Yeah, in this book. So she has 30 more chapters to make you feel it. And she weaves their sacrifice and the ramifications of it and how it affects the people closest to them. Yeah. Into the story. So beautifully yep and it hurts you the whole time I Which think one of the one of the things that I said when I first read it was I need for her to stop bringing it up <laughs> yeah because it it like every single time I think I'm like back in the story and I'm okay she would hit me with it again and I'd be yeah. like I'd be down for the count yeah which I'm certain is what you're kind of supposed to feel especially if you're attached to Manon the way that I was like that you're feeling that with her yeah because she finally decided to care about people and then she loses everyone. Yeah. And these are people that have been with her for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Going the, so anyways, I typically tell people get to 89 and 90, read it in one chunk and then read 91 to 101 in one sitting because you really got to read all of them in one sitting. And I'm going to do my best to like skim through these as fast as I can. But I do want to point out how not only crossover heavy are they, but also just in general, the sheer wildness of some of these conversations. So the first one is 91, which is when they vote. It is probably one of my favorite like weird moments in Kingdom of Ash because basically everyone sits around a room and decides, are they going to use the keys now or later? Because Dorian, oh, I do really want to quickly say Dorian has been reunited with Kale and he meets Irene and it is a really sweet moment. I think 
everyone would agree that the Kale and Dorian relationship is just so beautiful. And this is the first time they have been reunited since Queen of Shadows. So Mm -hmm. that is a very special moment. Everyone votes. We get to see some of the votes, but not all of them. And it very quickly is leaning towards, we're going to use the keys now. We're going to just take care of it now and not go into the battle. And Rowan loses it. And so that goes into 92, which is when Rowan and Aelin have a moment alone in their tent. And it is one of their final moments before the keys are used. Rowan really are. I mean, it's one of the few times he genuinely is angry with Aelin because he feels like she's given up. He feels like this is the end of their relationship. He tells her, you know, why can't you fight? You fought your entire life. Why are you choosing to do what everyone wants you to do now? And she eventually breaks and says that she wanted she admits to him that she does want to spend thousands of years with him and that she does want to fade with him and have children and she wanted to do all those things but she could never vocalize that because she knew her life was ending and rowan once he hears that asks for one last thing and that would be to potentially see if dorian and aelin could go in together and maybe try and forge the lock together and not lose one of them so kale dorian rowan and aelin all go to they're actually in the salt mines of indovier and which aelin finds ironic and they put the keys in aelin's arms and they she holds dorian's hand and they go through a um, pocket realm a pocket realm and they meet the gods and that would be chapter Well, first they meet, before they meet the gods, they meet Dorian's father. And Dorian's father stops them. And he says that he wants to take the place of his son. And this is, again, one of those gut-wrenching moments where you realize a character that you had absolutely hated with your whole being in the beginning of the series is actually a good guy. And he and Aelin scheme to basically free Dorian of this so that they can go together but also he's here to tell Aelin that he has met her parents and that they love her and they are proud of her and everything she has done then they meet these gods it's not a good conversation and that would be chapters 96 and 97 is when they is when Aelin's meeting the gods Elena is already treated as a prisoner. She's essentially already ready to die. Mala is there. You know, Deanna is there. There is a god with many faces is there. And they are just basically requiring that Aelin brings them home. And so Aelin opens a portal to a world that is green. It is pretty much all green. And Aelin tries to barter with them and says, you know, can you, because the idea here was that they are supposed to take the Valg with them and then everything will be righted. And Aelin says, actually, if you leave the Valg, can you save Elena? And the gods are like, they, they take a moment to think about this. And you can see Mala, who is Elena's mother, is kind of shocked that this is a conversation we're even having. However, Deanna does the killing blow and Elena is gone yeah she does suck she Mm -hmm. sucks a lot the one with the silver flames in case anyone doesn't remember sucky one yeah and mala as a gift to aelin for thanking her for trying to save her daughter gives her a kernel of star fire power 
So this is chapter 98. So it says they had lied. They had betrayed Elena and Aurelia and they believed themselves betrayed. Their green sun drenched world rippled away ahead. So that's where the gods are from. Okay. Groaning, Aelin climbed to her feet. She was no lamb to a slaughter, no sacrifice on an altar of the greater good. She was not done yet. And Aelin met Mala's burning stare. Do it, Mala said quietly. Aelin looked past her towards the pristine world that they had sought to return for so long and realized that Mala knew, saw her thoughts in her own head. Are you going to stop me? Mala held out a hand. In it laid a kernel of white hot power, a fallen star. <clears throat> okay. Take it. One last gift to my bloodline. She could have sworn Mala smiled for what you offered on her behalf for fighting for her, for all of them. And Aelin staggered a few steps to the goddess, to the power she offered in her hand. I remember, Mala said, I remember. And Aelin took the kernel of power in her palm. It was the sunrise contained in the seed. When it is done, seal the gate and think of home. The marks will guide you. This is reason number 725, why I love Rowan. Aelin blinked, the only sign of confusion she could convey as the power filled and filled her, melding into the broken spots, empty places, and Mala held out her hand again, and an image formed within it of a tattoo across Aelin's back, a new tattoo of spread wings of the story of her and Rowan written in the old language amongst the feathers. And there were word marks. Rowan had hidden word marks in her tattoo and had inked word marks all over it, a map to home a map, a map to him he had suspected somehow that it might come to this he had asked her to teach him so he could take this gamble and that is like one of my favorite things about rowan rowan whitethorn galathinius mother whitethorn rowan whitethorn galathinius tricked his wife into putting a tattoo on her back with word marks there's another person that tricks someone to putting a tattoo on their back with word marks. Anyway, Sarah, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and they say to a better world, Aelin bowed to Mala, but her smile turned into a wicked grin. She did not falter as the as she found the world she sought and she dipped into that internal and terrible power. And then Aelin opened a portal. This is exact words from chapter 98. Okay. Right into the world she had seen only once, had accidentally opened a portal into one night in a stone castle, distant Bane house cracked from the bleak gray expanse. A portal into a hell realm. Hell realm. I just want to make, did I say it again? Hell realm. Okay. The door now thrown open. Aelin was still smiling when she closed the archway into the god's world and then left them to it. The sound of their outraged, frightened screams ringing out. I also want to bring up and remind you that in Crown of Midnight, Aelin described that hell realm as a what? A chasm. Okay. All right. Now let's go to chapter 99, which is the famous one that everyone knows so well. Okay, so this is Aelin. She's falling through the worlds. All right, she plummeted into the last of herself into what remained, grappling for any sort of power to slow her racing. She passed through a world where a great city had been built along the curve of a river, the buildings impossibly tall and glimmering lights. <clears throat> With an angel and a, okay, <laughs> um, that's not in the text, by the way, <laughs> with an angel with gray wings and um, a little, little sparky, sparky. Okay. <laughs> sparky? I mean, yeah, that's kind of what he does. Okay. Zap anyways, daddy. Mm, zap, zap daddy. 
daddy. Zap daddy. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, are we still reading the book? No. Okay. No. Passed through a world of rain, green, and wind. We don't know what that is. Roaring, she tried to slow. She passed through a world of oceans uh, with no land to be seen close. She was close to home. Hey, look, that's many waters. Many waters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she passed by. She passed through a world of snow-capped mountains under shining stars. Passed over one of those mountains where a winged male stood beside a heavily pregnant female. Gazing <clears throat> at those very stars, Faye. They were Faye. But this was not her world. She flung out her hand as if she might signal them. As if it might somehow help her. When she's <clears throat> nothing but does. an invisible speck of power. The winged male, beautiful beyond reason. Disgusting. Snapped. Like, Aelin, don't be attracted to that. Okay. Snapped his head toward her as she arced, as she arced across his starry sky. He lifted a hand as in as if in greeting, a blast of dark power, like a gentle summer night slammed into her. Not an attack, but to slow her down. A walled, a shield, and she tore and, and plunged through. But it slowed her. That winged male's power slowed her just enough, and Aelin vanished his world without a whisper, also known as the Red Star and Silver Flames. I need a minute for that. Wow. Um, okay. It says there it was the pine and snow of snaking spine of the mountains was her the, up her continent and the tangled of the oak wall to the right, the waste to the left. Snow. Pine pine and snow. Snow. Yeah. A land of many people, many beings. She saw them all familiar foreign fighting at peace, sprawling cities or hidden deep within the wild. So many people revealed to her Aurelia and she threw herself down and she became home. And she says that she has lost a lot of her magic. And also we find out that Aelin is officially Fae. She has no human side. That was the cost of this, which I now think is hysterical because of the amount of times Rowan was like, shift, shift. I can't wait for it to come back and bite him in the ass when she's like, shift, shift, because she can't shift. Anyways, yeah. okay. And it, and I don't think it's in this chapter. I think it's actually in chapter 101. And the only reason I want to bring it up is Aelin at one point says, She's not sure if she can ever, if she will ever forget what she saw. Like, she doesn't know if that will haunt her. She doesn't want to think too much of it because it was quite crazy. But I just want to point out that she opened a go she opened a portal to a hell realm, also known as the chasm from Crown of Midnight. And she also went through Lunathian and Perithian. And that is confirmed. So, okay. I only want to bring up because we've done through 101 i only want to bring up one thing from chapter 100 which is oh. that ansel and manon have a conversation about sharing the western wastes good now that the witch kingdom is no longer cursed because which of is, the 13th yes the only thing i want to bring up with chapter 101 is so two things one aelin brings up the fact that her fire is you know she she described it as like she shows a visual to Illy like of how big it was and she shows it being much smaller and by much smaller I literally mean it's like probably 30% of what she had and while still not an insignificant amount no it's just insignificant in comparison it's insignificant in my eyes and I think the biggest thing about it is this is probably my biggest complaint, and I know I have done enough rereads to know that Aelin didn't want all the firepower. I get it, okay? You don't have to explain that to me. I know. I saw Aelin being overwhelmed. I don't care. I hate that at this point in the story, the most powerful person is Dorian. I mean, I love Dorian, but, like, it's just it should still be Aelin. 
Ayla can still kick some butt, which we find out, but I just, it's a very interesting conversation. And um, the last thing that's important with one-on-one is the fact that the stag appears and that's how she gets home to Terrison. Mm-hmm. Avery and I want to skip to 108 yeah. to talk about Gabrielle's death. We're really sad about it. That's pretty much all I've got to say. I just want to say it was beautiful. I thought it was, I mean, I, some people think it was a throwaway. It, it In a weird way, it kind of did feel like that, but it also felt like it was inevitable because just how that relationship went. I do wish they had one conversation together. That wasn't, I mean, really the only conversation Gabrielle and Adian had was that towards the beginning of empire of storms yeah and but they never talked again so i i wish they had more conversations but it's fine i i respect this it makes sense gabriel's sacrifice was very important so good for Mm -hmm. gabriel i think what hurts me the most is yes it hurts that gabriel dies but what hurts me the most is the scene with rowan and adian and aelin where aelin gives him the blood oath like that's the scene that hurts me more about his death yeah I would agree. I would agree. Chapter 110 is the famous line that Aelin says, which is, I am God. Yeah, it's great. We love that for Aelin. Also, I feel like we're getting a little bit of that swaggering Aelin back, which was perfect timing. So 111 is where essentially Elide has this harebrained scheme of how they're going to kill Erewhon. Yes. And so it's Elide, Dorian, Lysandra, and Irene. It's the four of them. And basically... They go to Kale, and Kale must have realized the plan before his king because her husband whirled to her and said, you can't. And then he says, you can't again, and his voice breaks, and it's cute. And she puts her hands on top of Kale's, Arid does, and says, you are my joy, which is disgustingly adorable. Yeah. Uh, And then because Kale has grown as a person, he says- Kale at last opened his eyes, the bronze of them so vivid, alive, utterly alive, full of trust and understanding and pride. Go save the world, Irene, he whispered and kissed her brow. Like, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a my good man. Anyway, and then he looks at Dorian Mm because he knows Dorian is going with them for reasons that we later find out. And he looks at him and says, keep her safe. And Irene realizes that, like, that's the only order Kale is ever going to give Dorian. Yeah. Like, he'll he'll follow him to the ends of the earth. And Dorian bows his head and says, with my life. It's, it's I so lo- good. It's so good. I love that relationship so much, especially when Irene joined it. It was... <sighs> And this is, again, where I like to say that, like, I don't hate Kale because by the time I get to this part, I have so much love and respect for him. He just goes through some rough patches in the middle. But that's okay. That's okay. The only way to grow is to hit the bottom first. Exactly. And damn, did he hit that bottom hard. Yeah, you gotta go. you got to go up from somewhere. Yeah, and that would be chapter five of Queen of Shadows, where I wanted to punch you in the face. I think it's five. It's five or seven. It's like one of those. It's I pretty just, much Queen of Shadows. We don't I have just, to specify a chapter. Well, just I'm just, I, it's, it's that one. It's it's one of those. I just want to punch you in the face. So I, you've, you've grown so much. And thank you. Thank you, Sarah J. Mass, for showing that he's not a stupid character. Because she, she could have left him there. And that would have been fine. But she didn't. She made that man important. And thank you. I just, yeah. Okay. And then 113 for you is is the big moment with Erewhon. Yeah, it's, yeah. So basically, Erewhon approaches Irene and mm-hmm. says, healer and his unholy power 
is around him like a black aura. And do you know how long I've looked for you? Do you even know what you can do? In my world, your kind exists too. Not healers to us, but executioners, death maidens, capable of healing, but also unhealing, unbinding the very fabric of life of worlds. So we took your kind, used them to unbind the word gate, to rip the three pieces of it from its very essence. Maeve never learned it and never shall. It took all of them to hew the keys from the gate, every one of the healers amongst my kind, but you with your gifts, it would only take you to do it again. And with the keys now returned to the gate, Maeve thinks I left to kill you. Your little fire queen thought so too. She could not conceive that I wanted to find you before Maeve, before any harm could come to you. And now that I have, what fun you and I shall have, Irene Towers. So basically, that's his whole speech. Mm-hmm. And then she traps him mm-hmm. in a word mark. That's right. And says, I'm not Irene. And then Lysandra is in Rook form. Dorian shifts back into his own body because Dorian really just enjoys being a woman, I guess. So wild. I know. Elid comes flying out. Erwan didn't seem to know where to look. Not as Dorian sent out a punch of his healing light that knocked him off balance. Not as Lysandra leaped upon the Dark King, pinning him to the stones. And not as Elid, Damaris in her hands. And plunges the blade through his gut and between the stones below. And then basically the world slows and warps. But mm. the sound, nothing compared to what came out of him as Irene reached him, hands burning like stars and slammed them upon his chest. His dark power rises. Irene doesn't let it touch her. She's pouring hope into him for a better future, for a free world. And it's the hope. And then basically she yeets Erewhon, thinking about this parasite, but also thinking about Josephine and Marion, Elid and her mother who get, who happen to make it so that their daughters end up together. Like it's a whole thing. The power of I shall rip you apart, starting with that babe. And then Irene's power flares brighter. The power of creation and destruction. That's what lay within her life giver world maker. And then bit by bit, she burned him up, starting at his limbs, working inward. And when her magic began to slow, Irene held out a hand. She didn't feel the sting of her palm cutting open, barely felt the pressure of the calloused hand that linked with hers. But when Dorian Havilliard's raw magic barreled into her, Irene gasped gasped and turned into starlight into warmth and strength and joy Irene's power was life itself pure undiluted life you wait i just want to take it before you go farther down this rabbit hole i just want to go back to the fact that you said when the sword went through erewhon world slowed okay i just want to remind everyone that it said that okay continue It nearly brought Dorian to his knees as it met with his own and he handed over his power to her willingly and gladly. The Demon King screams and then we keep going and we keep going. The hatred in the Demon King's eyes was enough to devour the world. My father's name, you took it. He gets it back, which is, we find out that Dorian was his father's name. And then Dorian said their power rippling down the blade. Damaris's hilt glowed. Tell me it is your own As Damaris drew the name from him, his father's name, Dorian, I took his name. Dorian let go of Damaris's hilt, and now we'll bring you down as well. And then they go into it. Erewhon could do nothing, nothing against the raw magic joining with Irene's weaving into that world-making power. 
The entire city, the plane became blindingly bright, so bright that Aline and Lysandra shielded their eyes, even Dorian shut his. But Irene saw it then what lay at Erwin's core, the twisted, hateful creature inside, old and seething, pale as death, pale from an eternity in darkness so complete it had never seen sunlight, had never seen her light, which now scalded his moon-white ancient flesh. Erwin writhed, contorting on the ground of whatever this place was inside him. Pathetic, golden eyes flared. I'm trying to get to the part where we find out that Damaris is now black. No, it's fine. I mean, I think it's just important to say that it's black. Yeah. Yeah, well, he well, gets he gets burned away, and that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And okay. he's a little black splish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels very Voldemorty. It does, but like in the almost like a hybrid between the movie and the book because yeah, in the yeah, book, yeah. it's just his body. Yeah, and in the movie, he like disintegrates and like this. Well, I'm thinking of the one that they see in the dream where it's like the tiny, like shriveled up thing in the corner. Oh, like yeah. that's what it is, you know. But yeah, it, it's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. Moving yeah. on. That's when Sh- Erwin gets yeeted. Yeah. Moving on to chapter 114. The only thing I want to bring up is Aelin and it's Aelin, Rowan, Lorcan, and Fenris. And they are all with Maeve. And they are all fighting Maeve. And for the most part, it's Aelin fighting Maeve. And Maeve is somewhat taunting Aelin, knowing that Aelin doesn't have her fire magic like she used to. And then she at one point, you know traps all of the men into a horrifying dream nightmare sequence essentially but the thing that is most brilliant about this and something that i think is very important to bring up to readers and i like to bring it up a lot so i apologize if you've heard me talk about this it would be the wolf tribe of terrison so we find we find out now looking at the map of terrison okay or looking at the map of Borelli, if you look at the map of any of your Throne of Glass books, not Tower of Dawn, because this is obviously not in that one. But when you look at it, when you look at the map of Terrison, you see Orenth, which is like kind of in the center north. But if you look kind of towards the left, there is Rune Mountains, spelled R-U-H-N-N, okay? Right below it is this thing called the Wolf Tribe of Terrison. And what you find out is when magic disappeared all those years ago, that there was a tribe of fae that were all wolves who were stuck in their wolf form when magic was removed. And they do have a very animalistic, they're they're essentially werewolves. Like, let's be honest, that's what they are. They're like wolf shifters at this point. They're, I mean, they're fae because there's not like wolf shifters in this world, but that's the best way I can describe because I wouldn't consider them like, Rowan shifting fae you know what I mean anyways what I'm trying to say is they have a score like their wolf form more than they like their fae form yeah exactly and what we come to find out is that Aelin has they they're not necessarily happy with Maeve and the spiders and so Aelin opens a portal and the shifters come through and then at the same time Fenris does the killing blow to Maeve and the wolf shifters the wolf tribe of Terrison takes care of all the little spiders. So they're all done. So bye-bye spiders. And then Maeve is left on the floor and Aelin says a great line, which is, you know, I will make sure your final words are like, like great for a great song or, you know, whatever. And basically you really see that Maeve would love to stay because I think honest, I genuinely, I'm not being like 
you know, sarcastic. I think Maeve loves Aurelia in her own way. And I don't think she wants to leave Aurelia, but she has caused so much pain and heartache that it is, it is painful for her to officially leave. And so she does, and she disappears. And then everyone is, Aelin is officially welcomed home to Terrace and Darrow officially, because up until this point, he pretty much has told her she's not allowed to step foot in Orinth, which is the capital of Terrace. And now he's like, welcome home, your majesty. And it is a very sweet moment. And Aelin gets to walk through the gates. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty dramatic moment. This is usually about the time I start to cry is like this portion of the story. So, but I loved Maeve's death. It was bittersweet, sweet for me because Maeve was such a, an amazing villain. You wanted her to die no matter what, but I felt like there was even a part, especially for me, at least there was a part of me that was sad to see her go because it was such a, it was a sad death for her, but it was, God, it was so worth it for Fenris and Halen and everyone else. So. So 17 is what I mentioned earlier. It's That's where it starts is essentially giving Gabrielle the blood oath. So we don't mm-hmm. really have to rehash that. Yeah. But what I did find is that this is where we find out that Damaris is black. Oh, uh, cool. Okay. I was like, it's in here somewhere. So hours later, still sitting on the balcony where Erwin had been blasted away into nothing. Dorian didn't quite believe it. He kept staring at the spot. He's kind of reeling from the fact that he now knows that his father's name is his own name. So Mm -hmm. he is named after his father. Dorian flexed his bloody fingers, his magic lay in scraps. So he's feeling burnout, which he's never felt before. Mm -hmm. And then it says, on shaking legs, Dorian yanked Damaris from the stone. So the blade is still plunged into the stones where Erwin was blasted apart. The blade had turned black as onyx. A swipe of his fingers down the fuller revealed it was a stain that would not be cleansed. So then he decides he needs to go find Kale and everybody. And then the only other thing is Damaris's black blade didn't reflect light. It didn't gleam at all. So it absorbs all light Mm. around it now. Similar to two other blades that I know of. Okay. Right. Exactly. And then um, it also Mm -hmm. still has the truth-telling ability. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay. Just saying. Damaris's black blade didn't reflect the light. It didn't gleam at all. Dorian still tightened his hand around the golden hilt and said, I am human. It warmed his hand. He peered at the blade, Gavin's blade, a relic from a time when Otterland had been a land of peace and plenty, the way it would be once more. So, yeah. I think it's interesting also, the only other thing I really want to mention about this chapter, Manon sees Dorian again in the yes. chapter. This is not what you're thinking, but this is... I know, I know. They get the hello, princeling, hello, witchling out of the way, and he looks for the 13. Yes. This is This is when she hits you with it again. So he looks, and she says, you will not find them in this sky or any other. And he is devastated for her. And... Then she just hugs him and then says, I miss them. And then starts kind of crying. And it's just, I know. I'm not okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Your turn. Okay. I might start crying for this. This <laughs> is the part that I always cry at. Well, so- let me just do, let me just do 120 then. And then you can have your whole moment. Okay. 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 So 120, the only reason I wanted to bring it up is this is where we get the Irene. Irene is a meddler, y'all. I love her, but she is a meddler. Basically, she looks at Manon and Dorian and it's just like, 
you guys can get married. And they're like, what? And then basically Manon smirks at Irene and then gets on Abraxas, looks at Dorian and says, we'll see. And then rides off into the sunset, which honestly is almost worse for me than so Lorca did. Because like we get the spicy time with them, but I don't know where their relationship stands. Yeah. I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. I need to know. Okay. Sarah, I believe in you. You are stronger (laughs) than me. You are stronger than me. You can do this without crying. I'm going to be I'm here. I might actually cry. So this chapter 119 is, I don't think I can put into words how impactful this is. This is the chapter that I feel like is truly the end of Throne of Glass. And it is Aelin's coronation. And it even just like, there, there's little bits of it. So there's there's like the very beginning, it says it took 10 days for everything to be arranged, 10 days to clear out the throne room, to scrub the, t- the lower halls, to find food and cooks and everything, 10 days to clean the royal suite, to find proper clothing and outfit, the throne room for queenly splendor, evergreen garlands hung in the pews, Rowan stood on the dais of the throne room. I mean, it goes into all this detail. It talks about everyone there. It says that the Coggin Royals are there. It says that even Celine is there, who is still dressed like a warrior. She's not, they've told her she's the queen and she can't process this. They, it, it explains that the Fae are allowed to stay there. It says that there is not an official throne. It's just a large chair that has been selected. And Darrow too is there, that there were trumpets that rang out and there is a form note summons. It was repeated three times. Ilid is the first to walk, and as the Lady of Paranth, she is very graceful. Then it is Lysandra that comes in. Then it's Evangeline with green ribbons and her red hair. Then it is Ilid. So it's Ilid takes the spot to the right side of the throne, then Lysandra, then Evangeline. Rowan, this is all through Rowan's point of view, by the way, and Rowan is there, and then the Song of Terracin rings out, and Aelin walks in. And this is the part that I always cry. (laughs) So it says... Every step, every path she had taken had led her here. The faces of her friends, her allies, blurred as she passed by. To the throne she waited, to the crown Darrow would be placing on her head. Each of the footfalls seemed to echo through the earth. Aelin let some embers stream by, bobbing in the wake. And Adian is there, and then she passes Dorian and Kale, and she gives the oath of Terrison. And she does it in the old language of the Fae, which she practiced with Rowan the night before. And she says, Aelin, Ash River, Whitethorn, Galathinius, swear upon my immortal soul to guard, to nurture, to honor Terrison from this day to my very last. And the crown is then put on top of her head. They had to make a new one. Um, It has twinning bands and woven antlers. And at the very center is the true gem, which is the King's Flame from Orland's Reign, who is her great uncle. And it says, Rise, Aelin, Ash River, Whitethorn, Galathinius, Queen of Terrison, long may she reign. Hail Aelin, Queen of Terrison. And it The whole thing makes me very emotional. I don't think I can put into words like how, I don't think I could ever explain how important this is. It feels very reminiscent to me of like when I read Harry Potter as a kid and I got to the end of the epilogue and I didn't want it to finish. And so reading this and coming to this moment and I get too sappy when it comes to Throne of Glass and I think it's just because it's more than a story to me. It brought a community of readers together and it 
it created the realm and it did all these things and I'm trying not to cry. So all I'm going to say is that it means a lot to me and I don't think I can ever explain what Throne of Glass means. And so, and then the little, I didn't even bring up the little folk, little folk walk by, <laughs> the little folk walk by. <laughs> so, and they also present her Mav's crown. It's it's a really beautiful moment. And then especially at the very end, she asks everyone to walk with her. And she took Irene's hand. Then she takes Manon's, Illy's, Lysandra's, Evangeline, Nezrin, Hussar, Ansel, and all of these women walk. And it says, they opened at last the roar from the gathered crowns loud enough to rattle the stars. A new world and a better world. So it is, it's it's just, it just means, it means a lot. It means a lot to me. I know it sounds really stupid, but it does. It means a lot to me. So that is, that's probably a big one. And then the only other thing I want to bring up is, is chapter 121. It even says Rowan knew this day would be hard for her. This is probably one of the best goodbyes and I'm just going to read the whole little paragraph because this to me is equivalent to Harry, Ron, and Hermione saying goodbye to each other and it is she felt as if she'd been crying without end for minutes now yet this parting, this final farewell Aelin looked at Kale and Dorian and sobbed, opened her arms to them and wept as they held each other I love you both, she whispered and no matter what may happen, no matter how far we may be, that will never change we will see you again, Kale said, but even his voice was thick with tears. Together, Dorian breathed. We will build, rebuild this world together. She couldn't stand it, this ache in her chest, but she made herself pull away and smile at their tear-streaked faces. A hand on her heart. Thank you for all you have done to me. Dorian bowed his head. Those are the words I never thought I'd hear from you. She barked a rasping laugh and gave him a shove. You're a king now. You're in, such insults are beneath you. He grinned and wiped his face, and Aelin smiled at Kale, at his wife waiting beyond them. I wish you every happiness, she said to him and to them both. Such light shone in Kale's bronze eyes that she'd never seen before. We will see each other again, he repeated. And then he and Dorian turned towards those horses, towards the bright day beyond the castle gates, toward their kingdom to the south, shattered now, but not forever. Not forever. And the best part about this is... The very, very end of this, what I loved Sarah did was it is Rowan and Aelin and they say, you know, you know, she's, she's saying how grateful she is. And she said, I'm going to have a terrible headache from all this crying and you're not helping. And she asks him if he will find her chocolate cake. And he says he will. And tomorrow she breathed. They both paused and looked at each other to the smile. Will you work to rebuild this kingdom, this world with me tomorrow tomorrow and every day after that for every day for the thousands blessed years they were granted together and beyond and Aelin kissed him again and took his hand guiding him to the castle and said to whatever end and he followed her to whatever end fireheart can I give you a suggestion of what we should build first and Aelin said tell me tomorrow which is the same thing Aelin says in throne of glass this last line Selena Sardathian says which is tell me tomorrow and then we get the epilogue which ends on a funny note the only thing i want to say which is my favorite part about the epilogue is this small paragraph that says aelin threw the blankets over rowan's naked body smiling down at him when when he didn't so much as stir he preferred the physical rebuilding working off for hours on repairing buildings and city walls to the courtly bullshit as he called it meaning anything that required him to put on nice clothing but he promised to dance with her at Lysandra and Adian's wedding such unexpectedly fine dancing skills her mate had only for special occasions he warned her after her coronation and when Aelin opened the curtains she sees 
across, it says, for across every mountain spread beneath the green canopy of the oak walled carpeting, the entire plains, the king's flame was blooming. And that is the end of Throne of Glass. For now. I'm going to say for now. For now. I only cried a little bit. MVP. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Oh, I've got it. I know who I know who your MVP is. I got. Oh, I think I know. I I I don't know. It may have it may have changed on you. I I know who my MVP is of this book. I I originally had a tie, but I have selected one. Okay. Originally, I had Fenris and Arena in a tie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Let's see. Okay. My MVP for Kingdom of Ash Mm -hmm. is Elite Locket. Nice choice. I have reasons. Okay. So obviously Elid went with Rowan and the crew mm-hmm. to save Aelin. Mm-hmm. She's the one who talked to Hassar mm-hmm. using her human skills. Mm-hmm. She saves Lorcan. Mm-hmm. She puts her asshole of an uncle away in a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of other things happen. She heals a bunch of people. She works her ass off for this war. Mm-hmm. And then little Elid Locken is the one who has the harebrained scheme to yeet Erewhon. That's it's a good her point. plan. That's a good that point. That gets executed. It is her plan. Elid mm-hmm. Locken, MVP. So I think mine's a tie. I had one, but I just was thinking about it. And I actually think I'm going to, I'm going to give it a tie. So mine is... Fenris and, and Rowan okay. <laughs> and the Rowan part probably your leg of course Rowan's gotten MVP at least once but I'm giving it to him because I haven't if it, done it yet I haven't done it yet and if it, it if it wasn't for Rowan's tattoo on the back of Aelin's back Aelin would have never have gotten home to him and I think that is that's the part that made me fall in love with him I was like oh if if the man doesn't put a tattoo on your back that takes you home to him I know that sounds weird in like real life settings, but in yeah. this situation, oh <laughs> my God. Yeah. Okay. And then Fenris, I have to give it to Mr. Moonbeam because he. I mean, he's pretty badass. In he's book. also like, we have to give credit where credit is due in terms of the fact that he is a character that was introduced very late. I mean, technically he was in Era Fire, but not very much. Mm-hmm. Technically he was in Empire of Storms, but he's not a. I mean, I would think the only other character that is close to him in regards to their actual, like, page, probably talking, would be Evangeline. Actually, I don't even think it's Illid. Like, I think Illid has more page time than he does. And Fenris holds such an important role and is also the character I tend to see people, when they're reading the series, they're like, I can't wait to meet Fenris. And I'm like, you're going to be shocked because he's in and out. Like, it's very quick. And I and I love that. So I have to give it to the to my cadre boys, Fenris and Rowan. Fair. My two men. Yeah. I was I was surprised. And I mean, I made that decision as of like a minute and a half ago because I'm pretty yeah. sure when we started this, I had decided that my last two MVP was going to be a tie between Fenris Irene. and Irene. Because yeah. they're they're the ones who land the killing blows. Yeah. So yeah. they are very clearly the most valuable player. They kill the people. But yeah. like in reality, Erewhon doesn't get yeeted without Elite's plan. Yeah. 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 It's true. We did it. We finished Throne of Glass. We did it. And with very few tears. 
I'm proud of us. Yeah. Yeah. I only shed one. Okay. Well, congratulations. I cry over spilled milk. So yeah, I don't cry over anything. So it's, <laughs> it's, it means, it, it means a lot when I cry, but I'm glad we're done with throwing a glass. <laughs> Dude, same. We still have to finish the notes. I do have to say that I was, I, I think it's, I, I think we have about 30% left. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope they come out pretty soon. And then we're, we're going to film the Akatar podcast pretty soon, actually. Oh, I will say this. We're not totally done with Throne of Glass. What we're doing now is we're, we're going into Akatar and then we're doing Crescent. Well, we're doing Akatar up to Frost and Starlight. Then we're doing House of Earth and Blood, Silver Flames, and then House of Sky and Breath. And for reasons. For reasons. If you know, you know. And what we're going to do after that, I think, is the plan is then we're going to like go full crossover so like that's when we're gonna go full deep dives into all these books so we're not done with throne of glass we're just done with the major deep dive lore discussions of it and then we're gonna now crossover stuff yeah now you're gonna see us like literally pick it apart for crossovers Um, tower of dawn tower of dawn yeah i was yeah but before we do that some questions for you number one what is your favorite throne of glass book i think you and i have the same one yeah we both have queen of shadows queen of shadows is MVP God tier favorite moment in a, in Throne of Glass. Oh, that's mean. I know mine off the bat, but I also have been asked this before. I have I have a lot of favorite moments. I'm not gonna lie. That's I have fine. a lot. Most of my favorite moments have something to do with either Arene Towers or the Witches. Okay. Sometimes the lead, but mostly Arene Towers or the Witches. Mm-hmm. Probably like logistically thinking about it, it's the Terrace and calls for aid with mm. the witches yeah, and kingdom of ash that's there's a one. lot like if we're picking like a favorite moment from queen of shadows because that's my favorite book it's going to be which killer the human is still inside him but like mm-hmm. but like i'm pretty sure the moment that feels like there's a lot of turning points for manon but that moment yeah feels like the most poignant turning point for manon where she's like I'm getting all of my people. Yeah. I'm going to save Terrison. Yeah. Mine is the Emerald scene in Empire of Storms. I don't think Sarah J. Mass will ever top that in my, well, actually she might in CC3, but I, that is my favorite moment of any Sarah J. Mass book is that Emerald scene because it felt so like fan service that I loved it that much. Yeah. Um, and then randomly, the thing that I continuously think about lately is the moment in Queen of Shadows when it's holding the dead Valg's arm. And she's like miming it at Rowan. He's like, stop that. She's like, stop that. Like with it, that I just, I enjoy those little moments between the two of them. It is something I miss when I, when I meet other couples. Although Bryce Quinlan is not far off from that. And so I do get to enjoy that side of things but i'm excited we're moving into akatar i have not done a deep dive of akatar so this is like super fun for me because i don't i don't get to like talk about it very often but i i mean like you guys can't see this but i have two extremely tabbed akatar books so yeah, like i don't have tabbed akatar books except for silver flames but let me just tell you i have done a deep dive yeah these are my prized possession these are the loves of my lives are actually my actor books i have not done a throne of glass book i think because i'm like terrified of tabbing a throne of glass book but one day i will like for myself and just tab those moments you know what the perfect excuse for you to buy the new cover ones uh no actually i have bought i bought the european white edition for me to tab because i always wanted those so i bought them but once they announced the new covers yeah i think i'm probably gonna tab the 
new covers. Yeah. Yeah. They since because they're new covers now, they will be around for a while. I don't want to tab my old cover ones. That's fair. That's fair. It's a it's a bittersweet thing. I'm glad we're moving on. I unlike Avery, I have done thrown this this is my second time doing an entire deep dive with major discussions about this. So I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> this is I I cry at the very end and then I'm like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> There are so, multiple reasons why we're crying at the end here. Yeah, yeah. But I'm ready to talk about Actar and I'm ready to talk about Resand and Cassian and Azrael and Gwenriel. Gwen, I always want to say Gwenriel. <laughs> her name is just is it really Gwyneth? Is that like her actual it's name? Gwyneth. Yeah. She's okay. Gwyneth Berdara. Okay, Gwen and Nesta, who's like my my main girl. I'm a big, mm, she my best friend. She a real bad bitch. <laughs> I don't feel on Nesta. So, all right. There's well. a reason that Sarah refers to me as her Gwen and I refer to her as my Nesta. Like, it just makes sense. Yeah, it really does. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, thanks for listening. Bye, friends. To whatever end. Really, really, really. <laughs>